I'm Tony McAleer, author of The Cure for Hate, a former white supremacist journey from violent extremism to radical compassion. And today on Curiosity Bites, we're going to cover The Cure for Hate. Uh, we're going to talk about hate and what it is. We're going to talk about compassion and the three components that make up radical compassion. And we're also going to talk about the things that you can do in order to change the world by inspiring others to a place of love and compassion. Welcome back to this episode of Curiosity Bites, which is brought to you in part by MagCast. Imagine having your own industry magazine. What would do that do for your authority? Whether you're a coach, content expert, or an uh, emerging brand, it's hard to stand out from the crowd. So what if you there was a proven way to increase both your perceived authority and professional status in the eyes of your market? What if you could do that all at once? Well, this is a way to go from being invisible to getting meetings with anybody that you need. To find out more, you can go to magcast.co. That's M-A-G-C-A-S-T dot C-O, where, uh, where first-time publishers create thriving magazine businesses. So get me over to magcast.co. All right. I want to welcome you back. I want to thank you for joining us. And of course, you can join in the conversation uh, on Curiosity Bites by going to our group inside of Facebook, which is called Curiosity Bites. If you go in there, you'll be able to chat with others. We chat with me, chat with our guests about this conversation. And right now we're here with our guest, who is Tony McAleer. We're in the final part of the show. Um, Tony is the author of The Cure for Hate. He is an international speaker that strives to educate individuals, families, community, law enforcement, uh, governments that are struggling to grapple with white supremacist movement. And uh, as we know, there's been a great rise in that. And where, we, where we're at right now is we're talking about how the ideology is different than the individual. We've talked about how somebody becomes involved with the, with the movement, but it's not really necessarily because they agree with the ideology, but there's a whole bunch of other needs. And where we got to um, in this process was as Tony left that movement behind and then started to leave the ideology behind, um, his reintegration back into uh, into the rest of the world his work around um, ending hate and his work around his own redemption and helping others to redeem. And where we've just gotten to is before the break, we were talking about his journey to Europe and journey into cities that had previously had thriving Jewish communities before the second world war. And then there was the journey into Auschwitz. So let's pick it up from there, Tom. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, one of the reasons we 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 filmed it, and I was had the opportunity to spend 15 hours with a wonderful guide from the museum there, um, was that because within uh, within the next couple of years there won't be any Holocaust survivors left. No, you know, and that experience will no longer there'll be no one alive that experienced that. So it's kind of it's falling out of living memory, right? And I think. Um, you know, Mark Twain has, has got the quote, the famous quote, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure seems to rhyme a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think as, as it falls out of living memory, I think that's, that's when things can come back 
and and repeat themselves and or echo mm-hmm. echo uh, so we wanted to create something as as a guard against uh, against that and um, it's such a powerful powerful place and um, feeling different places had different different energies and I remember going in the room with the artifacts there's, there's different rooms um, and, and each room sort of had a different feeling to it and I remember in the room where it's all suitcases and people's names and birthdays are written on the suitcases it's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of suitcases and I remember feeling was overwhelmed by the feeling of abject hopelessness and I can just imagine, um, you know, the the train car opening up. You get off, you know, and you realize where you are, and you realize there is no resettlement to the east, and just the absolute despair and hopelessness that would overcome you, having to go through that experience. And I, and I it was a very visceral visceral feeling and the last room had uh, women's hair, 30,000 um, women's different, different hair. And I spent just a half hour in there just feeling, feeling it. And I was filled with disgust and mm-hmm. nausea at the, at the horror of what, what had happened there and the next day uh, in the morning they gave us access to to both camps for a couple hours in the mornings before they opened right and we were at Birkenau which is Birkenau could hold 125,000 Auschwitz could hold 25,000 and I started to connect again to that feeling of disgust and nausea mm-hmm. at at what I had said and what I had done and what I had denied Right. Uh, and and I intellectually got these things, but I was able to connect in a very visceral way to the d- disgust at, at, at myself mm-hmm. in that space. It was a very, very powerful experience. And, and I remember saying to the, to the guy, I said, you know, in another time or another place, I could have been a guard here. Mm. And that, that potential, um, you know, there's a potential guard, I think, inside everybody given the wrong set of circumstances, triggers, that type of thing. And I think to acknowledge that within humanity that, you know, this, that that darkness can exist. I mean, even, even um, Jewish captives that were capos and horribly mistreated other Jewish prisoners, you know, were in, in many ways, the guard was in them. Yeah. And I think it's a, it was an important to recognize that that potential exists within, within humanity and we have to be on guard for it. But you said something that I think is really important. Um, I think that one of the most powerful motivators for behavior that we're likely to feel ashamed of later is the leveraging of powerlessness 
you know, like you talked about the capos and people may not know what those were, but those were Jewish people who were in the camps who were used to keep other Jewish prisoners in line and often were very cruel, uh, often more cruel than some of the German guards were. And, and people are like, how could you possibly do that? But when you feel immensely hopeless and helpless, any sense of authority, any sense of something to help you survive is what people will fall into very quickly. And I think it takes great uh, determination to not go down that road and become self-preserving. Uh, and it's an interesting place for us to be in this conversation right now, because as we record this, it's April of 2020. Um, we are living with a pandemic, global pandemic, um, potential economic collapse that could be global. Um, we don't know whether it's going to go there or not, but you know, there's a lot of darkness in the world at this point. And, and I'm often concerned about this very thing, this hopeless helplessness um, and the behavior. When you think about who you were, you think about the ideology, you think about what you learned about even the capos, um, and, and you think about all those things, what's your biggest concern as we are entering into this time in 2020? that history will repeat itself mm. and it may, it may look different. Maybe it's, it's Muslims and not Jews, mm. you know, um, but the, the, the rising tide of intolerance and, and dehumanization and, you know, combine that with, with nobody alive left that can actually remember how bad it was. Um, truly that is the, that is the that is the worry and, and the concern that that I have. And I remember the guide asked me, she said, do you think you could ever go back? Um, go back to that, that movement, that life. And uh, I said, knowing what I know now, I said, it's, it, it, it's not possible. I said, I'd, I'd rather lose my life than lose my soul. And uh, you know, from understanding the limited understanding of being a completely disconnected person, I can see how I, how I ended up there. But now knowing what I know now, it would not, it would not be possible for me to, to go back and, um, I've had some, just some incredibly powerful conversations with that, with that guide. And of course the, the questions that you, <laughs> that you had supplied the, the director, which I didn't know. I knew you gave him questions. I didn't know what they were. And, mm -hmm. uh, and he, you know, like even from thousands and thousands of miles away, you were <laughs> still able to deliver the, the trademark Dov Zingers. <laughs> do you remember which one do you remember? Is there one of those or maybe there's more than one that really, hit you while walking there and answering those questions is one of those questions that really stands out for you. Yeah. When she, she asked me, what would you say 
to a little 10 year old boy um, that was in the camp. And I couldn't think of anything to say. And I asked her, I said, you know, what, what could you say to, to someone in that, in that completely hopeless situation? And she said, well, that's easy. It's, you know, I will remember you. You will not be forgotten. Um, I will keep your memory memory alive and 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 in the in the midst of that i I realized that the 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 exercise was me talking to little tony and the nine-year-old uh ten-year-old boy and and being able to put myself in 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 those shoes and feel it, it was it was really powerful and uh really powerful experience so the other one was at the end, I think it was by one of the, the collapsed crematories, uh, mm-hmm. sort of at the end of the day. And, and uh, I had to picture, she, she asked me to picture everyone that had died there standing, standing there. And what would, what would, what would I say to them? Mm-hmm. And that was deeply moving because I could, I could picture them and, and, and feel them. And, and, uh, you know, in, in, you know, do my role in Holocaust denial, um, you know, was like I was murdering them again. I was com- committing, denying that they were murdered was, uh, heinous act in and of itself. Yeah, heinous, um, you know, I was killing their memory. Yes. And having to come to terms with, with that in a deeply emotional way. Um, and, and, you know, apologize for, for having, having done that. And so those were the two that stick out mm-hmm. as the, you know, the questions that I had to, uh, this, the 6,000 mile zingers. Right. You know, obviously, you know, you talked about it earlier, obviously your kids know about who you were, uh, and how you behaved and the, the rhetoric. Um, do you guys ever talk about, uh, that Tony? Do they ask about that Tony? Because that Tony was their father. They were birthed into that world. And obviously you removed him from it. But initially, do, do, do you and your kids talk about that? Uh, we, we have talked. It's not, not that it comes up often. And they both read the book. You know, I let them read it before it was published so that I wanted to make sure I was treating everybody, you know, because their their grandparents are in the book and their mother's in the book. and. Yep. And to a certain extent, they are in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I was treating everybody fairly, mm-hmm. you know. And, and uh, you know, it's not uh, the book's not blaming in in every yeah. every every way. Everything I did, I chose to do. Sure. And I have to take accountability um, for that. But I don't. Uh, I share stuff from my childhood so that you understand the lens through which I made those choices. But I have to accept that I that I made those those choices, but they also were able, 
they were also, they also did some work with you, my yep. children. And, and they were also able to see me and witness me transform uh, my life and got to be part of that journey as well. So I think they under, they understand it. Um, and, you know, and I've, I've had those uncomfortable conversations and, and apologized um, for what I did put them, you know, put them through. I mean, and, uh, but I think they, they know, they know I'm not my story. You know, they know I'm not that, that history. And, you know, and I like to think, you know, when I look at all my, all the other relatives, there's an awful lot of dysfunction. And I think of aunts, uncles, cousins that, um, from my dad's side of the family. And I'd like to think that, um, I've broken the chain, you know, and, and stepping out of that dysfunction and, and the, the children now are, they don't, they don't carry the dysfunction of the, of the Macalier <laughs> side of side of things and, and the anger and unresolved, all of, all of that kind of stuff. And so I think it's, they've got a, a fresh start with which they can go and live their lives and, and, and free of, of all of that dysfunction that I grew up in. So it's like a, a pattern interrupt. It's, I've, I've, yeah. it's, it's no longer cascading to the next generation. It's, they've got a clean start, so to speak. What is the, what is the, the message if you have one, what is the message of hope that you would put forward at this time? Uh, and I mean, let, let you know, we can you know, put to the side for the moment that there is a, a pandemic and economic challenges and all those kinds of things. But in a time, you know, even if we go back just six months ago, when there was and is a rise in the alt-right, um, there is a rise in that kind of thinking that has gone in many ways uh, showing up in countries uh, that we wouldn't expect it, like India, um, you know, like Sri Lanka, like, you know, countries that are not just, they're not white countries, but yet we see that alt-right behavior. We see it in the Philippines, we see it in Hungary, we've seen it in Brazil, you know, um, do you have a, a, a message of hope in the context of that rise? Absolutely, uh, absolutely, and and I think as human beings, we have we have the ability, and and uh, and we have a, with that comes responsibility to inspire others through our our own actions and and who we choose to be in every moment of every day informs people around us um, to, to, uh, to be, behave like that. And, and I think as human beings, we come from one of two places, fear or love. Mm -hmm. And we get to choose, we get to choose which. And the analogy I always like to use is um, McDonald's in Vancouver had kale salad. I'm like, how on earth? Does, if you told me 10 years ago, McDonald's is going to have kale salad. I said, you're, you're sniffing blue, forget it. <laughs> so how does McDonald's end up with kale salad on its, um, on its menu? And it's, 
It's simple. It's the choices that the average person is making with every bite of food that they put into their mouth. And people just, it's, it's lots of little tiny choices. Yes. It's not, it's not, it's not a, someone on a white night coming in or some piece of legislation that's going to change things. It's, we get to inspire people to that place of compassion and the place of authenticity and, and it's millions of little things that we do, it, mundane things that we do, but it's, it's who we choose to be in every moment of every day that can inspire the people around us to, um, to emulate what it is that we do. And I think we, I think we sometimes lose sight of that. And we, we have this incredible power and responsibility to teach the world how to be. We have to be, you know, to quote Gandhi, be the change that we that we wish to, we wish to see. And, and, um, and, and people, people will emulate stuff and people will choose love. If, if you make them aware that there's a, there's a conscious choice. And, and I think, um, we, it's just great that we have the ability to inspire others. And, and it's my mission to inspire people to the place of compassion, forgiveness for themselves and for all people. And so I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that love will win, even though we might see on television, fear is the, is the primary driver. Um, but I also see neighborhood cooper cooperation at, you know, through this time of pandemic and, and making sure everybody's needs are getting taken care of this. I also see as much as I see fear, there's also this coming together of community and operating, um, with higher, higher values and, and compassion for people. And, Ultimately, I think that that uh, that wins out. It's interesting because I think what you just said there is so profoundly important that we forget it. We, uh, I think, that the rise of the strongman leader, whether that's, as I said, in Hungary, Philippines, U.S., Brazil, wherever it might be is based on this idea that they, he is going to save us. Um, and that there's going to be one dramatic, uh, heroic act that's going to change everything. And what we know from history is that the decline of civilization or the uh, the elevation of civilization is actually based on tiny little events and it's these moments where we choose to be uh compassionate and loving and caring and not turn our back on our neighbor and and those acts uh, and and i think it's the it's the little acts of saying nothing or doing nothing when something is wrong uh, rather than making a little bit of an effort. Um, one of the things I'm encouraging people to do every day is, you know, of course we, you know, we can all lean out of our windows at 7 p.m. every night and hear the clanging and banging as people celebrate the frontline medical workers. That's wonderful. But who's celebrating the frontline workers inside the grocery store? Who, who are taking a chance to serve you? Who are stocking the shelves? Who is clanging and banging for the garbage collectors who are stopping us from being overrun with disease because they're taking, still taking the garbage away? Who is celebrating 
uh, the people who are doing the little things and the big things that we don't see, i.e. truck drivers. I've talked a lot about truck drivers lately and like, you know, as advanced and technological as we like to think we are, uh, every truck on the road is keeping us, keeping the wheels on our civilization that within four days we would be without groceries in the stores. You know, it's like, wow, everything would grind to a halt. And these are ways that we can acknowledge, rec uh, recognize, validate each other. Um, so when I go to the grocery store across the street from me, you know, I make sure that I thank whoever is there for being here, for filling the shelves, for serving us, for taking my cash, whatever it is, because it's these little acts of, and this is one of the things that I know you've spoken about enormously Tony, and I appreciate it so much, is these little acts of humanity. And that, that you know, we think about, you know, you talked about the cure for hate and, and the need for compassion, but it's not just for compassion for the neo-Nazi who was reformed. It's compassion for the person struggling in any little way. And, and the, one of the things I absolutely love about your message is that compassion starts with self. So as we finish up, as we close up today's show, I would really like to have you share with us a bit of practicality about, you know, I think that we're all living in a world where we're, you know, it, uh, things may change or uh, definitely will change, but I don't know how they'll change. But we live in what I call an Instagram world where everybody's comparing themselves to everybody else and they tend to lack a great deal of self-compassion. Give us a little bit of practicality of let, let's, let's plant the seeds of compassion within ourselves, if you could. Well, for me, the, the hardest part that I had towards um, self-compassion was around deserving mm. and I didn't feel that given all the horrible things that I had done that I didn't deserve uh, to be compassionate to myself and that being forgiving myself or being compassionate to myself was somehow selfish and self-serving mm -hmm. um, when it's the it's it's the the opposite and I, I'm always reminded of a, of a quote from the the Dalai Lama where it says, the more I have compassion and forgiveness for myself, the more I diminish my capacity to do harm in the world. And it was, yeah, realize that I do it not for me, but for the people around me. And the analogy I use is, uh, uh, if you've got, if everybody's got a five gallon drum of radioactive toxic waste in their basement, um, and if I want to go and, and help people remove their, their drums from their, so from their houses so that they they don't have to live with the toxicity but if i don't take care of the drum in my own house i'm still poisoning people for like you know a five block radius so yeah it's it's imperative that i also do the journey inward to remove it for the sake of people around me and it was that paradigm shift was it was a real game changer for me in getting over my issues around deserving and and whether or not i should be compassionate and forgiving 
to myself. And I believe, and I think I learned this from you, you know, if we, we have compassion for everybody else, but ourselves, that's not, and forgiveness, that's not, uh, that's not compassion. That's ego. It's about being seen to be compassionate. We have compassion for ourselves and nobody else. That's not compassion either. That's narcissism. Uh, and so we, in order for it to be truly healthy and compassion has to be balanced, yeah. um, balanced out and balanced in. And, and, and I discovered that the more I had compassion, the more I could mine it within myself, it exponentially grows the ability to give it to others. Um, and I think if people understand that the true, the secret to giving it to others is to go within um, it's just a powerful, powerful uh, message. It is. Tony, this has been an amazing conversation. And I know that people are going to benefit enormously from it. Um, before we go, I'd love for you to tell our viewers and our listeners about how they can find out more about you, uh, all your resources, how to get in touch with you, about your book. Can you just share all those things for us? Sure. Uh, well, the book is The Cure for Hate, a former white supremacist journey uh, from violent extremism to radical compassion. You can uh, get it from Amazon or if you'd like to support small Canadian publishers, uh, arsenalpulp.com, Arsenal book, Pulp Books. Um, you can reach me at Tony at thecureforhate.com. Um, you can visit my website to contact me as well at www dot the cure for hate.com that's www.thecureforhate.com and uh it's been uh it's been wonderful being your your guest on this the show and i'm uh, forever in uh, gratitude for uh you helping me um rediscover little tony and and rediscover myself thank you Thank you. And I just want to say that I'm not only honored by that, but I'm entirely grateful um, for what it is you're doing. And I appreciate you so much being here today um, because, you know, I've interviewed you before for my other show, but, you know, to be able to go to the depth that we were able to go to today was great. And I, and I really want to encourage people to, to listen to, Go back, listen to it again, and really take a look at yourself in the mirror as you do this. Because I think that the willingness to look at yourself is probably the most courageous thing you'll ever do that will transform how you behave with others. And that is why I salute you, Tony, is because, um, yeah, you're doing great work in the world, but that would not be possible if you were not willing to go on the self-discovery journey that so few have. And as you said, you know, there were thousands of hours that you and I worked together in one form or another to do that. So I thank you for uh, all that you're doing in the world. And thank you for including me in the book and, and in your work. Thank you. Thank you. So next time, this is Dov Baron. I am uh, the Dragonist. You can find out more about me at DoveBaron.com. You can find out more about Tony at thecureforhate.com. I want to thank you for sharing this show with everybody you know. And I want you to come and join us inside of Facebook, inside of our group. You can just look for the Curiosity Bites group inside Facebook. And we look forward to having a discussion with you right there. 
please remember to share the show with everybody you know until next time stay curious my friends stay curious about what it takes to cure hate it isn't what you think it's about looking at yourself first not at anybody else i'm out